Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode here with me on the DCVC podcast. I am your host Akash Bhat and as usual, I'm at the edge of my seat as I get ready to share this amazing episode with you all. This is one of the most candid conversations I've had with the VC and I had a ball putting this together. But before we head in and talk more about it, let me give a shout out to a couple of startups in the DC Startups of the Week segment. First up, we have Indistractable. Indistractable is a suite of productivity apps to help you fight the digital distraction, starting with a minimalist launcher. If you're like me and feel you need to keep a watch on your digital habits, then this is perfect for you. It's currently available in the Google Play Store or you can download it by visiting indistractable.xyz. That's i n d i s t r a c t a b l e.xyz. Next up we have Bima Garage. Bima is focused on making insurance easy for everyone in India with a focus on hassle-free claims management service. Visit bimagarage.com to learn more about it. That's b i m a g a r a g e.com. Now on to this week's episode. I'm super thrilled to introduce Rohit Goyal, who is the managing partner at Vindros Capital, a Pune-based early-stage VC firm investing in India's fast-transforming economy. He's a rare breed of emerging VCs in the country with operating experience. He has entrepreneurial experience in manufacturing and technology and has set up companies in and outside of India with people from China, Sri Lanka, UK and Germany. He holds a bachelor's degree in engineering and a master's in management, finance and entrepreneurship from Cass Business School in London. So without further ado, let's head into the episode and listen to Rohit. Welcome to the podcast Rohit. It's wonderful to have you on the show. But before you begin, I want to give a shout out to Swati on your team for setting this up. So yes. thank you so much Swati. It wouldn't have been possible without you. Now that we have you here Rohit, you know, welcome and uh, really excited to learn more about your journey. Uh, thank you Akash for actually inviting me. Really happy to be here on this podcast. Yeah, I mean I typically start my conversations by asking my guests about the last 6 months and how it's been because it's been such a difficult period for everybody to navigate from your perspective would love to understand uh, how have the last 6 to 8 months been for you as well on a professional front and a personal front uh, uh honestly akash really can't complain much yes they have not been the usual uh, period but then uh, fortunately enough you know uh, gave a lot of perspective to the personal side of life uh, the work life balance sort of started coming in into picture and on a professional front uh, fortunately for us our thesis was on the right side of change that covid demanded so a lot of our portfolio companies had accelerated growth during this uh, period so we are very happy about that uh, and also as a as a fund like in fact for a few months in between we paused Uh, all our investing activities and went into sort of a deep learning mode like you know over over a span of around 3 or 4 odd months we actually churned out about 200 man weeks worth of research internally and we had an entire organization uh, sort of focusing uh, towards learning and you know sort of sharp, sharpening the saw very honestly so it was quite an enriching experience uh, and then now that we are back into uh, we have resumed investing it's it's been a much better uh, fruitful exercise we feel uh, 
right now again uh, from like largely from an economic perspective yes it's been uh, quite turbulent uh, as times so we too have faced uh, the bad side also of the same like as a early stage young micro vc fund uh, uh, based in india we are also simultaneously in our fundraising mode and that uh, aspect is something that has taken a hit because you know uh, the lp mentality changes again primarily focusing on domestic lps here so there's a lot of reluctance when in times of uncertainty because again there are rules regulations are changing uh, the dynamics were different every day right you, like every sort of week was different from the week before but having said that uh, all in all i think it was a pretty enriching experience to uh, you know having experienced this so on early on in your career because i think that gives a lot of perspective uh, to to grow to and how to evaluate risk right over a longer term so yeah, all in all uh, not been very great but then i can't complain as well not been too bad either that's good that's been a very common sentiment uh, for most of the guests who've been on the show as well as us uh, on the on the vc side of things but i think you touched upon a very interesting point there which i want to spend a little bit more time in elaborating so you talked about how difficult it's been to fundraise from newer lps but at the same time you're also having conversation with your existing lps and trying to find out uh, and probably inform them about the state of the industry and how it's going from a fund performance yourselves talk to me about that talk to me about the yeah. contrast that you had in the conversations that you had with existing lps as well as potential lps how did that differ what were some of the questions that were being posed to you from a fund perspective while you were fundraising and what were some of the questions your current existing lps were asking about the fund performance so uh, we had very very different types of questions uh, honestly on both the fronts uh, fortunately uh, for us our existing lps uh, it's uh, those conversations have been much easier because again uh, we'll we'll speak a bit more into it but as i was mentioning earlier right our thesis Uh, our investment thesis aligns well with uh, with what covid demanded uh, adoption of technology happening at a rapid pace uh, etc and so our portfolio performance has been quite good in fact uh, a big chunk of our portfolio saw uh, high growth there were companies who've already achieved their future targets well in advance uh, in terms of timelines so as far as the existing lps are concerned they they are their questions were basically around how's the portfolio doing how are the investments doing uh how's the fund planning to navigate is there going to be any change in the investment thesis also and uh, fortunately for us again um, we've had a zero change uh, towards investment thesis we just sort of paused investing for uh, a little over a quarter just because we wanted more certainty in terms of uh, which side uh like or how long this thing is going to last or how is is the regulations evolving around this uh, so on so forth but broadly it's it's uh, existing lp conversations have been quite comfortable you know because we we were able to actually demonstrate uh growth uh, from from a new fund we we have made about six investments till now of which three companies uh, raised uh, the next round in the last three months right so so we had significant things to speak about as well when it comes to not just the business operations of our portfolio company but also subsequent rounds of our portfolio company happening so that, so those were some good indicators there which have been uh, quite helpful as far as the existing lp conversations are concerned uh, when it comes to new lps yes the conversations have been very different from what they used to be pre covid uh, for two primary reason like again uh, for the indian hnis and family offices uh, 
for some of them or for, uh, for quite a few of them it's it's an asset class that they are familiar with but for a large majority of them it's it's still a fresh asset class right so when they look at things they are they are looking at it as an investment where capital gets blocked for a longer term and uh, like you only see light like at the very end of the tunnel right so for them it's it was a bit more difficult to take long term positions during times of uncertainty so for them uh, the questions were primarily around how do we secure how like it, it was more towards risk management rather than the opportunity side which you know honestly uh, i believe uh, is not truly aligned with the nature of the asset class but uh, uh, but well that those were the concerns and there were also some opportunity uh, lps who were more on the lines like you know because there are so many new opportunities popping up for people holding on to liquidity so so there it was uh, it was more a question of proving why this asset class is is much better as compared to any other option available out there and as we are speaking now right uh, it's it's actually quite funny because all the other asset class here in india are more or less uh, at their peak or there is no foreseeable uh, returns as such right so a lot of these lps would either invest in stock markets they are for god knows why they are running at close to all time highs then uh, the debt market is probably yielding negative real returns right now uh, there are other like uh, gold prices in india are, are again uh, close to all time high and real estate is something where uh, we are seeing no escalation happening over the next 4 to 5 years so a lot of these other alternate asset classes that uh, people or lps used to prefer are asset classes which aren't uh, looking forward to doing good so as things are stabilizing now uh, i also see a lot of optimism in lps so my recent conversations have been more positive more optimistic and the willingness has increased and you know as a fund we try to focus that you know there, there should be a significant domestic participation in domestic companies here in india and and i think uh, that's happening with time So yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, period to be in. It's very uh, interesting to understand the different conversations that you've had with different set of LPs, potential and existing. How has that sentiment changed now, given that you're about six to seven months into the pandemic, and you're seeing that venture as an asset class is perhaps kind of done well as well, especially if you consider some of the sectors that have seen tailwind because of COVID. So has your thesis right. kind of given a little more? uh i would say um hope in terms of and 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 in showing potential lps that this is an asset class that kind of is going to perform for them in the long run given the fact that some of your portfolio companies have gone on to raise successful rounds during the last 3 months as well so has that kind of helped you in some of the conversations and and helping you close the uh, the new fund yes uh, definitely akash in fact uh... so okay before i answer this question i'd like to sort of just give a gist of uh, of our investment thesis as well sure. right so we we have uh, so we are a india focused fund which means we are primarily investing companies based in india having said that a few of our portfolio companies have moved out of india after growing uh, to a certain size and that's perfectly fine with us so we are investing broadly in two themes um, one is a broader financial inclusion theme and when i say financial inclusion it is not fintech it is it could be fintech could be non fintech basically we subclassify them into two types of companies companies that are either creating new financial products or companies that are helping increase access to uh, existing financial products uh, so that is one thing so on that part of the theme what has happened is uh, for the millennials right or or for 
for like the age group which is anywhere between 20 and 30 now this is the first real economic crash that they have seen right because in 2008 where probably you and i had experienced that but people who are below 30 today for them this is actually the first crisis that they have experienced in their professional lives right they were probably back in school or colleges uh, when uh, the 2008 crisis happened right so this has actually shifted this whole uh, idea now again india demographically has been a country that saves a lot and that uh, sort of aspect was eroding quite rapidly with the new generation coming uh, coming in but with these guys now also foreseeing or having felt the impact of what an economic crisis could do to you i believe the emphasis on saving has gone up more and when i'm saying saving uh, what i mean is basically participation in formal financial sector and you know uh, in fact proper uh, regulated financial products so on and so forth so i really really believe that uh, this financial inclusion thing is going to pick up even further again there is of course a broader demographic that as it is with the large population that india has uh, participation rate in the formal economy is very low like there is there's hardly a low single digit percentage of the country that holds a dmat account and uh, and so on and so forth so that in that a trend is some, somewhere we are seeing things rise in fact one of our portfolio companies nivesh they do uh, sort of mutual fund distribution for like a blue collar or uh, lower categories of white collar workers right so somebody who wants to let's say start an sip with as low as 5 dollars or 10 dollars a month uh, type of an investment and this company being completely digital enabled digitally enabled can actually service these clients profitably uh, again because it's a infrastructure less entity it's everything the entire experience from client onboarding to client servicing is digitally uh, delivered one thing we noticed during pandemic was while the markets were still sort of crashing the small retail investors were actually pumping more and more money in the market so uh, over the so this particular company over the last 6 months uh, or rather let's say from jan till date the uh, the markets are where they were right but the aum within the entity has gone up by nearly 70% just over the last 9 to 10 months and this has all come from your small 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 ticket size investors people who are adding so i see that trend happening wherein people are awakening to more savings and more participation so yeah, so that's one sort of broad theme financial inclusion that we invest in the second um, thesis which is very very relevant to covid actually was uh, so we began with a hypothesis that uh, adoption of technology uh, in indian businesses is very low and uh, that is something that has to go up for india as a economy to remain competitive you know, globally right so it's, it's any other country you go to your neighborhood seven 11 store you'd have a till you will have an inventory management system everything in place but in india even if you go to your neighborhood pharmacy you will see that there is no technology in place even even i'm talking at a very very fundamental level i'm not talking about adoption of technology by the large mnc's or you know corporates but in in general regular businesses so our thesis was that you know there there are going to be you know, technology and uh, for the first time tech is available in a completely off the shelf manner wherein you could be a tech enabled organization without having a single software engineer on your payroll my own organization is actually uh, uh, an example of the same right even though yes we do have engineers but not uh, not uh, the ones playing the role of an engineer in uh, here but then my team has been working uh, using tech platforms since about 2 years now uh, when covid happened and the lockdown was imposed i think our operations were disturbed for a day and a half 
and that's all we took to sort of move completely and and the only thing that we sort of had to replace was our all hands meeting which used to happen in person every day we've now moved that digitally and and it's working out fine as well so uh, say so yeah, coming coming back sorry i digressed over there it coming back to the the idea of the thesis side you right so investing uh, in companies that are either creating new technology uh, creating new solutions by using new age technology something like uh, computer vision machine learning iot or nlp uh, sorts or companies that are actually taking ops heavy functions which are existing in organizations and are basically using technology to leverage it uh, or make it more efficient so so that was that's the second broader theme and there what has happened is the changes that we were anticipating to happen over the next let's say 3 to 5 years uh, because of covid as in as the site of side effect of covid we are now seeing those adoption uh, or those changes happen over the next 12 to 18 months period so there we've seen rapid acceleration uh, there we've seen more willingness of uh, indian businesses to adopt technology now uh, and, and 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 yeah so i think that that particular whole segment we've had quite a few bunch of companies over there where uh, one of them actually created a covid specific product it's a robotics company that we have Uh, which ended up creating a, a robot as like a first line of defense at hospitals right so a robot which is basically doing primary screening and everything uh, and that ended up becoming a huge success now the company before that was actually still making robots but they were focusing primarily on logistics and uh, hospitality as a sector the moment they moved to hospitals uh, as of as of now we actually hold po from every continent of the world except antarctica and by the end of next month we would have actually delivered products across the globe and and that's those those things are what has made my conversations with existing as well as potential lps you know, very interesting and and that has really opened up the potential of okay what else can happen because it's it's not just that uh, the business mindsets are changing but also the business owner mindset has evolved and become more open and friendly towards uh, digital entities or uh, or technology companies right now india being a very traditional uh, relationship based mindset game it was always difficult to have uh, or or to to drive faith in entities that were creating uh, softer assets and not really hard physical assets right so i think that's that's been a very nice uh, change at large and uh, those conversations are now uh, much better than what they used to be honestly before covid no oh, this is fantastic i love the thesis that you have and the fact that uh, you guys have spent a lot of time thinking through some of the emerging sectors and taking a broader macro uh, perspective as well in the development of that really kind of like shows in some of the investments that you made have is looking at the portfolio companies that that you have so i want to actually have a quick follow up there before heading to my next segment in the last say 8 to 10 months uh, given the, everything that we have seen that's going to happen because of covid you you previously mentioned that there has been no impact on some of the investments that you made or the thesis that you that you actually have but right i still want to ask you this question were you forced to think about your investment thesis and maybe make a few additions or tweaks so did you also go through that period and then still go back yes. and say hey you know what what we have is pretty great or was there something that did not happen at all 
Oh no, this this is something that uh, it's it's a very good question. Question, very honestly, nobody has asked this to me in this particular manner before. But now that I think of it, uh, so our uh, thesis did get uh, get a little bit of revision, but not in terms of the investment focus, but it was more mm-hmm. towards the portfolio design. So that's where we did end up making certain changes uh, to the portfolio. We did go back, reevaluate our entire thesis, and that's actually the primary reason why we stopped investing for a couple of months uh, in the beginning. Like the uh, like the whole April to June quarter was the quarter we were not investing at all. We were reassessing. uh our own thesis what sort of developments are happening we had an active deal pipeline um, and you know we did have travel tech companies also there mm-hmm. so a lot of uh, uh, so there were certain, certain tactical alignments that we had to do so for example as I, as i mentioned we had a couple of companies that were working towards the travel technology segment there we we realized that okay this segment or at this moment it may not be a viable investment to make so of course everything that we do and we did uh, was reassessed uh, what we ended up realizing is that from a focus perspective we did not change our focus in terms of the uh, the theme or the track that we are focusing on however what we did is uh, so we have uh, also a portfolio design in place again we we are a bit uh, methodological and and you know that sort of helps us drive our discipline as investors so we have a documented investment thesis we have a documented portfolio design the portfolio design did uh, undergo revision so what we usually uh, do is uh, we used to back company up at seed stage so typically we are the first institutional investors or at times even the first investors that have come into a company uh, and then we typically uh, reinvest at a uh, like you know if they are doing a, a post seed or a pre series a round and then a series a round so so our model was a three check model so to say wherein we were writing a very small first check uh, a mid size second check and like again a mid size follow on third check but the uh, the idea then again was second check is where we practically took up the entire round for the company uh, and there were times wherein we were sort of directly investing second checks as well uh, for uh, for you know to expand our portfolio so that's one thing which we stopped so we uh, categorically decided no we'll stick to first checks only and second and third checks would be reserved 100% for portfolio companies uh, earlier we were sort of okay writing slightly larger checks also up front but this was more again uh, to tied uh, with the the risk uh, allocation and and sort of the risk management at a portfolio level so yes it's not that we had zero change in our thesis but then for, it was the changes that we did were fairly technical and were more commercial in nature rather than theory, like rather than the focus on alignment of the fund so to say changing so yeah so there there was uh, uh, these changes and, and we we had to really re- reassess in fact uh, we even went back creating a plan b and a plan c of uh, like you know as i mentioned earlier we are, as a fund we are still into the fundraising our final close hasn't happened yet so what if that takes a hit right so hence so we actually had to redesign our portfolio assuming different scenarios and hence we sort of prioritized one thing over the other ran through multiple scenarios in terms of what if this happens how do we tackle that and how do we still ensure the best portfolio returns for our uh, investors i like the fact that you guys have given it a lot of thought and played out multiple scenarios because it's very important we had a very similar sort of situation here ourselves because we are also in the middle of raising our fourth fund and we also had to play out multiple scenarios where we had to um talk about existing thesis that we have and where we want to be in about 4 to 5 years time 
and that really takes into consideration the fourth fund that that we have and that will come into account as well so modeling fund 3 with fund 4 uh and 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 playing around with different combinations about investment thesis portfolio design portfolio support and structure all really takes um, a lot of effort so i really know what you guys have probably gone through yourselves it's fantastic i'll probably dig up a dig a little more into this at a later stage in the episode but i want to take a step back talk to you about your background i mean you're you know we discussed this before the recording you you're young you're like you 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 you're, you're a fund manager who's under 35 how did you get into venture capital i mean i've i've seen the background you've been in tech you've been a founder yourself at what stage yeah. did you sit back some day and say hey, you know what i want to get into venture capital i want to invest in startups and this is something i want to go. I, i want i can see myself doing for the next 15 20 years take us through that journey how did things unfold for you yeah uh, honestly i i stumbled upon being a vc uh, and and i'm glad that i did uh, so my whole journey began so as a so i did my graduation in engineering i had my own company like i started my company right in the final year of engineering and was excited about technology since beginning right as in nowadays you have we all have these fancy words of uh, ai ml etc but you know if i if i were to frame uh, my final year thesis was on a computer vision article using machine learning right and and i didn't call it machine learning back then because the term wasn't as popular <laughs> so to say uh, but i was always inclined towards technology my first business was uh, into but it was more uh, electronics technology uh, so on so forth on the hardware side Uh, i uh, exited that to my partner itself then i went to uh, i always had this idea that i wanted to also uh, study finance in a more organized manner coming from a business family myself as in you know i i come from a typical uh, what they call as a banya family right so so they say finance is in your blood you don't need to learn it of sorts because from what i remember my my great grandfather was into financial services as like he was a Uh, he was a lender in his uh, in his own right back in his village back then right so so we've been having a very close uh, association with finance and financial values at large uh, but i really wanted to study it more uh, in an organized manner so i i went uh, i did my masters in finance and entrep- uh, entrepreneurship uh, from uh, london and and that's what actually also opened up my mind i ended up making my first investment as an angel about seven odd years ago and and then you know it really opened out my opportunity once i exited my own business i was looking at what to pursue next uh, and it was actually around that time that i made a couple of uh, investment as angels but then within my own network what i was seeing was a lot of uh, business families were actually uh, wondering like or you know ha- were having issues in terms of succession planning or planning in terms of what to do next because a lot of businesses had sort of hit Uh, or ha- were sort of locked into an orbit wherein they knew that okay this is how we could do and not really grow out so i've actually sp- interacted with a couple of families and uh, there was sort of an unofficial mandate to okay you know okay, wh- where uh, can we diversify and it actually began with my own family right so uh, again i come from a family which is quite huge in size so each new member is entrepreneurial in themselves and they then wanted to understand what are the next options or next sites that are coming up which is what led me to actually research into what's what's happening in india what's uh, uh, where where is the economy heading in terms of the whole demographics and consumer behavior uh, so on and so forth and so i actually started out uh, 
like you know initially investing with an intent to find sectors or businesses that uh, one could diversify into as a full time role and so that uh, that was the mandate that i began with but by the time we went into enforcing it what we realized is our key strength was uh, the ability to find fund as well as the ability to add value in terms of strategic thought process the ability to create uh, systems which are scalable in nature and those could be like typical but yet existentially crucial systems right like how do you create a sales process or or, or a finance reporting process that could scale as the business grows and uh, and that's with that intent we actually made our first couple of investments that you know okay let's see what happens and so this was again about 6 years ago uh, from now and we made a initial couple of investments uh, i i was primarily leading the effort uh, and then over a period of time we were able to see those companies grow uh, also what we realized is again back then now this is around 2015 2016 not a lot of organized players were there in the seed stage ecosystem in india so unlike in sf where the vc ecosystem is very mature indian vc ecosystem i personally believe is fairly nascent right we are we are about 10 12 years old as against uh, a, like a nearly 40 year old system uh, back in the us and and i realized that oh there is a there is an opportunity here which is untapped there is not not a lot of organized players coming in that early stage uh, by early i mean like seed to series a stage uh, what we also realized is okay so there is a need for what we are doing we realized that we were able to create value for the companies that we were investing in because that was quite evident from the performance of our portfolio but at the same time early on we uh, then started generating some exits and we realized that okay so it's not only something that is needed something where we can add value but also a place where we can uh, capture value for ourselves and for me like this is like a holy trinity of sort if if all these three things align that's where you should be uh, and of course there is a fourth thing that you should love what you are doing and for me uh, individually I, like if i were to describe myself in a single word i would probably choose the word curious right because i i am like just that. driven by curiosity and 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 i i couldn't find any other business which could feed my curiosity at a rate and pace uh, which uh, i am able to right now so for me it was a perfect alignment so this was about 3 4 years when i had started investing uh, is when i decided like actually to to sort of create a much much more professional setup into this and then decided to take a more organized and a structured approach to this and again i personally believe in building things for scale uh, and and that's how i've actually even designed my own uh, team here yeah. like okay so if we have to do so i personally believe like if i had 10 times more capital i wouldn't write 10 times larger checks but i would just do 10 times larger portfolio and just do more of what i'm doing because i feel this is a this is a very good spot where we are in Yeah. Of late, of course, competition has been increasing. A lot of larger funds also have started, like a smaller a seeding fund or or a Series A, pre Series A type of funds. But I still believe like there there is still a lot of opportunity out there, and for not just the existing players, but even for a couple of more new players to join in as well. And I think that is something that's going to really help the ecosystem because these startups who get uh, proper support and help early on in their careers, they end up sort of uh, growing much. more stably so to say so that's that's uh, been my personal journey in terms of you know so then about 
No, that's fantastic. But I actually sports. want to spend um, yeah. a little bit more time asking you two follow-up questions. One, yeah. uh, and we spoke about this before the recording as well. You've chosen Pune to be your headquarters. Talk to us right. about that. Talk to us about the selection of this city. It's very unique uh, that you end up choosing Pune, and you also happen to mention that you're you're the first institutional VC fund to be SEBI registered from the city of Pune. So, what made right. you select Pune as your headquarters? And I'll come to my next question in a bit. Oh, uh, very honestly, the banya in me, because what I realized is Pune has great talent, uh, it, because it, it's called as the Oxford of the East, and so we have got good talent, we've got large industries, uh, so it's actually among the top five cities in the country for the number of HNIs that there are. For uh, for education, it's probably among the uh, the top city in the country, and uh, also for. Uh, uh, like businesses and industries, right? And as as a startup ecosystem, it's also one of the top five active ecosystems in the country. Having said that, there were no single VC based here, and I realized this is an untapped opportunity because, uh, again, going back to my belief that the VC ecosystem in India is quite nascent, right? So as in the US, it's going to evolve, and uh, with the diversity that India has, we are probably going to have much more pockets of innovation as compared uh, to, uh, to the US. So it's not going to remain uh, in one city. Over a longer term, I feel it's going to be five, six, or maybe even 10 cities that are going to be uh, hubs for startups within the country. And I saw that Pune is very well positioned to be one of those cities. At the same time, Pune has uh, a fantastic lifestyle, right? So it does not has the the population of Mumbai uh, or pollution of Delhi or the traffic of Bangalore, right? Because these three are the first go-to choice for any VC to set up their fund. I realize it's a good uh, place to live. Uh, also from a very Banya mindset or, you know, from a very uh, cost-centric mindset, I realized like being a micro VC fund, I knew I, I wanted to build a, a people-heavy organization because again, I believe in creating stuff for scaling. And Puna is a perfect place because... Uh, you get good talent here and the cost of talent is also more rational as compared to other cities. It's purely because the cost of living in uh, the city is quite low and like relatively quite low. And uh, and also as the city matures, like the, the startup ecosystem in the city matures, we having positioned ourselves uh, would, give, like, would stand to benefit the most out of uh, this. So it was a very thought through decision of, okay, let's set up base over here. In fact, most of my uh, team members are not from the city. They have they were working in other cities, but have now moved to Pune uh, just to sort of set their base here and are actually loving it over here. So, so yeah, I, I believe that was the whole uh, thought process behind why I stick to Pune, and and of course, being uh, like having your uh, fund headquartered over here gives us certain advantages as well in terms of creating differentiation in the econ uh, in the ecosystem as well as uh, gaining access to unique opportunities. Uh, and, and, and in general, like it's, I think it's, it's a much better uh, place to be. I like that. I, like, I, I, I do agree with the fact that Pune obviously gives you things that Mumbai, Delhi and Bangalore doesn't. And at the same time, I don't know if you've been to Bangalore, mm -hmm. but um, I've, I've been to Pune and I'm originally from Bangalore myself. I can tell you for a fact that Pune reminds, every time I visit Pune, it reminds me of Bangalore back in the day. And I mean the good times that Bangalore had gone through before it kind right. of became what it is right now with all the traffic conge congestion and everything that the city is plagued with. 
So it's good to know that uh, you've, you, you also have given that a little bit of thought in terms of structuring uh, the fund in an up and coming emerging city in India. And now that- Just to also, sorry, yeah. just to add one more aspect to it, right? So uh, again, this is also to do with something with my age. So once I, I had, you know, I took a couple, uh, quite a few years to decide like this is what I really want to do for the rest of my career of sort. And I looked at that, you know, I have a long headway, right? I've, I've got a good head start over here. So maybe like I'm not expecting these changes to happen over the next two years, three years or five years, right? But if I am in it for a longer term, over the next 10 years, definitely uh, like we would then be the a 10-year-old fund based in Pune or, or whatever, like, you know, uh, uh, at, at a certain point in time. And I think that has uh, a lot of advantage in itself. So I am also looking at uh, building this unique position over a longer period of time. And I think uh, on that type of a time scale, uh, the choice becomes much more relevant. Yeah, I do agree there is a certain handicap in terms of uh, opportunities. Of course, Bangalore ecosystem is much, much more vibrant. But then you can always have like a satellite office over there. And I, I keep traveling like uh, Delhi, uh, Bangalore and Mumbai are cities where I frequent practically every month. So that's the, that's never been a, a like you know opportunities over there I, I feel can flow in, mm-hmm. but creating your own unique position is something uh, that I was really looking forward to. Does place really matter now that we're on this discussion? Um, let's let's elaborate that a little further. Does the location of the fund really matter in your opinion? Uh, yes and no. Uh, no for the deal flow or for my professional life. Yes for my personal life. And, and I, I like, you know, having, uh, again, going back to our thesis of believing that digital adoption or tech adoption is necessary in the country, we were always like, okay, place really wouldn't matter from a business operations perspective, mm-hmm. right? So, so I know I could run this fund from Pune or uh, even from a village as long as I have good internet connection there, right? right? Uh, but then uh, what does matter, like there are two aspects though, which is matter on a personal front, the kind of lifestyle that you live is very different here as compared to any of those cities. So I think uh, it's it's important for not just for myself, but also for, for the team members to actually have a much more balanced uh, lifestyle. And I think Pune offers a, a great opportunity at that, uh, like from a health perspective, from a, uh, from a social life perspective, so on and so forth. And having said that, yes, the only place where we feel a bit disadvantaged is is at times the flow of information, right? So, so it's just that uh, if if we were based in Bangalore, we probably would have heard something before, but here there's a slight lag into the information delay. But I, I think, uh, given the size of the ecosystem that India has, mm-hmm. and uh, again there are quite a few players, but not enough, so it 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 isn't as big a like it is not actually a handicap or a disadvantage in my opinion. Okay. Now coming to the second part of the question. Let's yeah. talk about you as a young emerging fund manager, like three, three and a half, four years ago, when you set out to launch your own fund. What are the challenges that you faced in terms of raising capital? Where did you start? What are the in- initial challenges that you had? And how did you overcome those challenges? How did you go about convincing your LPs that their money was secure in your hands? Somebody who was young, yeah. somebody who had probably just invested his personal money as an angel in some of the previous deals. How easy or difficult was it to go out and raise your fund without a lot of experience from the investment perspective? So, uh, Akash, honestly, there uh, it wasn't easy, but I had uh, some sort of tailwinds uh, with me, right? So, in fact, more than raising funds for me, the uh, the harder part was actually securing a license, 
because the regulators here in india are known to be quite strict right and and they saw and they are typically used to seeing people with uh, either having history of uh, investment management themselves or having worked in in an organization for a decade or so where they are doing investment management so getting a license for me was a was a big ordeal as in something that i know that i can do in about 3 to 4 months now uh, back then took me about nearly uh, like a, a little short of a year uh, just to convince my, uh, like regulator with my capabilities etc now when it came to the lp side of things so as i as mentioned before right so earlier i was already mandated by a couple of family families so i had a multi family office in place so which helped me uh, create like sort of showcase some experience uh, i had a, a few early exits uh, to brag about i had uh, like and of course the portfolio itself was doing quite good as in Uh, very honestly, like given the failure rates at an early stage fund from my previous corpus, with, uh, on a total of eight investments, there's only one of them that actually did not do well, and seven of them uh, not only survived but actually did well. So seeing a low failure rate, I think, was something that helped uh, me. Like showcasing that helped me increase investor confidence. And I always mention that you know, so there is a slight differentiation between. us as a fund uh, versus uh, versus other funds out there and again uh, i am not saying it's it's a good or a bad type of a, a differentiation is just a differentiation for the sake of it so ours is a purely entrepreneur led fund so i have been an entrepreneur myself i come from a family of uh, entrepreneurs as in like not even going to my cousin's level like like a first degree uh, one degree off relationship as well each of my family members have been entrepreneurs themselves right and they haven't uh, sort of have been heading a business or the other and that has really sort of helped us bring a pure entrepreneurial perspective to to the space where we are working and that has actually also helped us connect with our lps because again most of our lps are uh, self made uh, hnis or people who who are heads of different businesses so that's uh, really helped us uh, in that sense having said that yes uh, age is something that really didn't uh, play in my favor over there because people uh, and they still do they still feel that i do not have enough experience and that's something only time can solve so i i i've come to make peace with uh, with that uh, aspect of my life and, and again uh, because i am in it for a long term i know okay, if experience is an issue i can come back to this uh, prospect five years from now with a much better track record and and that time it won't be an issue because uh, the issue was never the the thought process that we had or i so fortunately enough i've never had lps objecting to either our thesis or 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 the idea that we are willing to execute as a fund uh, over here so that's never been a challenge uh, so that that that's something that i i feel is good but honestly i believe for anybody raising their first fund is equally uh, difficult as in it's it's i won't say i had it more difficult or i had it more easy i think it's it's equally difficult for any fund manager being young made made it uh, slightly bit more difficult but having a smaller track record made equally uh, comforting as well no i like that you mentioned that age was certainly a deterrent initially but only experience can kind of make up for it now when you yeah. started out and when you were thinking about approaching hnis or family offices where did you begin how did you start was it the immediate network that you had through your family family office family business that's where you began that's all the people that you knew 
or yeah. did you also take a different approach where you identified certain people and felt these might be individuals who might really fit to your thesis from what they were doing either at their day job or some of the other larger businesses that they were uh, involved with how did that approach really play out for you uh, uh, i it's a very interesting question you asked and i actually ended up doing an ab testing over there right so i uh, i approached two very distinct set of people because somewhere i had read this thing and it was stuck in my head that people who know you don't trust you as easily as people who don't know you so then i started targeting these two set of lps uh, one are people who are from within my network uh, and the others were people uh, whom uh, whom i did not know very well but i i just started conversing with them in the sense like okay, let, let's see what where things goes without any uh, sort of need to being pushy about sales or anything of that sort so what i what i realized is uh, conversions happened faster when it came to people who are within my network but uh, the percentage of tar- uh, like prospects that got converted was lower whereas for for the lp base that did not know me the percentage of people who converted into lps were higher uh, but they took longer to take that decision and uh, and that's and it also sort of gave me some comfort that okay so i am able to at least deliver value on both uh, type of uh, you know lps there but of course at the very beginning i began organically with uh, expanding through my own network again as i said uh, so, uh, we are a business family based out of pune we've been uh, situated here for multiple decades like my father was born and brought up here as well so we were very deeply rooted into the whole business community uh, here as well so a very organic thing to do was just reach out to people where uh, you know there is already some sort of background check and validation in place and then sort of begin conversations from there but at the same time as i said you know i also very early on started targeting people who are not from pune whom we did not know at all but people whom we knew were interested in investing in the early stage startup ecosystem at large so so yeah, we did, ended up did, did the location to... end up playing a role there because when you were approaching potential lps uh, when you first started out knowing yes. that you are going to be a fund that's going to be based out of pune did any of your lps push back and say hey why are you considering pune why not bangalore why not mumbai and did that really play a factor in some of them pulling out as being an lp uh so not not really i think we've not had any lp pulling out because of that reason having said that okay. i've had this question multiple times right so as to why pune like why right. not place a b c and right. earlier like we discussed right so i had to explain to them that your office location really does not matter right you could be working from anywhere yes you need to have presence or you need to have the ability to pull deals from different geographies that's something that we had developed and were able to demonstrate right even back then like from my first fund out of the eight investments we did only one of them were in pune right seven were outside pune so like i even though i am based in pune there is no such thing we are sourcing deals from across the country we are investing mentoring and exiting companies from across the country so that was something that uh, was never like a very big challenge uh, of sorts Yeah, no. Actually, now moving on to my uh, next segment, I wanted to understand a little bit about your approach, and you kind of alluded to this in the beginning of the episode as well. But one thing that really stood out to me uh, around understanding the context fit, and to me that was really yeah. interesting, and understanding how contextually uh, an investment or a company could fit into one your thesis to the Indian economy. Talk to us a little more about that. What was 
you know the initials are thought behind that and how is that contextual fit thesis kind of evolved in the last 3 or 4 years so, uh, so the whole contextual fit piece actually began as a de-risking exercise internally so you know when when we decided what themes to focus on or what sectors to choose in so uh, again as a early or a young fund what we wanted was a higher surety on success so we sort of realized okay let's study uh, what's happening or what's bound to happen given the demographics that the country uh, has and this is again about 4 5 years ago uh, and we looked at it and we realized okay there are certain spaces which are bound to succeed right irrespective of not whether you participate in them or no like let's let's give one one simple example of let's say electric vehicle so electric vehicles are bound to come whether some whether an investor participates in it or not so then what we decided is to choose themes which are bound to succeed in themselves like india is bound to go through financial inclusion and indian businesses are bound to adopt technology because that's the only way to sort of survive over a longer term so these these themes or these tracks are bound to succeed in themselves and if we then end up taking multiple positions uh, along this theme then our chances of success or hitting a home run also goes up so so that was the whole idea from where the whole contextual fit uh, uh, as a concept began right so okay so let's let's look at what are the broader trends and themes that are happening in the economy and in the sector and is the is the company aligned with it so again continuing our example like today if a company comes to us like you know we have this particular device or software that helps increase fuel efficiency of an internal combustion engine so even though it might be a great opportunity but from an early stage investing perspective it it could, it could sound some like something great now uh, but at the time when you want to exit the company which is 5 years or maybe more from now it may not really be very relevant and i actually honestly see that happening Uh, off late in the whole edtech space right in india like a lot of like early stage transaction in edtech is something that i don't understand why they are happening uh, simply because there are a lot of very well funded large players out there already and so the businesses that are appearing lucrative now and they are very lucrative now but from a funds perspective 3 to 5 years down the line they would end up most of them would end up being a me to business and may not generate enough value at exit so we've been looking at how do we ensure that a larger chunk of our uh, uh, portfolio sort of gets the uh, gets gets sort of the tailwinds of economy itself so how how do we always stay on the right side of change and uh, and fortunately that has come to play like uh, again even during the times of uh, of covid so so that right. whole contextual fit is looking at what are the broader trends uh, again so now uh, india as a country has its own culture so something that isn't clashing with culture something that isn't clashing with uh, with the demographic uh, evolution that the uh, the economy is going through something that isn't happening or isn't colliding with the larger uh, public sentiment and how things are probably going to be uh, so we are more focused on how things are going to be when we exit rather than how things are going to be when we enter mm-hmm. because again i i believe that is what would drive our uh, portfolio performance over a longer term you know when you, when we talk about contextual fit there's also a fund fit you know a founder fund fit that oh, yeah. all of these factors so, kind of so con- yeah. take into consideration <laughs> so we actually have we actually have four types of fit that we we look into so one is is the broader economic fit right uh, which is uh, which is the broader economic trend second is the fit within the sector so what's happening in the space what sort mm-hmm. of changes is it going through Uh, the third is a fit in terms of business model 
so uh, again uh, coming from a more traditional business families uh, we uh, believe it, like we like to see strong unit economics and a clear path to profitability mm-hmm. i'm not saying profitability or unit economics have to be achieved before we invest of course at early stage that's never possible but then there should be a clear mindset to achieving that so th- so we look at a business model type of a fit so okay what sort of business model are they going into and lastly but yet the most importantly is the whole team fit so it's not just around the the founder the, the team and how do they gel in with our thought process and our philosophy as a fund uh, also amongst each other so so that we we actually do a lot of subtle analysis in terms of uh, you know how are the roles and responsibility divided amongst founders are they clearly demarcated boundaries who mm-hmm. calls shots on what uh, what aspect so is there clearly demarcated roles and responsibility along with accountability in organizations and and uh, like this goes just not just to uh, related to the business operations but also beyond uh, that right so how do they uh, align with us as a fund how do they align with other aspects as well so so i think that's a very very valid point that you actually brought, brought up so when you say contextual fit it's also to do with the the person or the team on the other side that's fantastic it's good to see that you have um, a four uh, four four different models when it comes to fit itself and i've personally given a lot of thought in terms of founder fund fit and it's also something that i spend a lot of time in fact analyzing during some of the investments that we make trying to see how they really fit into some of the values and principles that we have here i've had some really wonderful companies that we have had to reject because there was no fund for, there was no fund fit from the founder perspective and it kind of hurts you because you obviously know that these are uh, companies that will do well from a fund uh, perspective these are companies that will really help you uh generate some returns but at the same time you also want to be working with the right set of people because most importantly vc is an industry of relationships if your portfolio companies cannot handle and manage themselves the way that you want them to chances are your reputation as a vc also is kind of hit in the long run so all right. of that really needs to be considered while you're making an investment and i like that you kind of have given that a little bit of thought as well so in fact uh, akash just to add a point to that so given our portfolio design model uh, we actually uh, get to even evaluate this founder founder fit founder fund fit multiple times right because mm-hmm. early on we are just writing a seed check right. and typically which is which is the smallest of our check and our second check which is uh, which is a uh, probably 3x 3 to 4x of our first one mm-hmm. uh, is where uh, is where typically we've already had an ongoing relationship with the founder of the founding team for about 9 to 12 months so the and and that is actually where a bulk of my from a from a capital allocation perspective a bulk of my portfolio allocation happens in the second check and that's a point wherein not only have we had a, a time tested relationship with the founder and the founding team but also have been on their side so so that really helps us so our follow on investment calls actually uh, the founder fit and alignment is actually one of the biggest sort of uh, criteria for us to make decision for mm-hmm. our subsequent checks because again uh, having written our first check we already know that the sector the the business model the contextual fit is in place there so for the second check or for subsequent checks that we write within our portfolio the biggest consideration is the whole founder uh, alignment with the fund no oh, fair enough that makes a lot of sense and in fact i wanted to extend uh, that concept a little further you know you know we we spoke about certain industries having tailwind because of covid 
We spoke about contextual fit. We, we spoke about how your investment thesis also kind of like evolved over the way while having the core kind of like rooted from what you had about four years ago. Now, how do you determine the velocity of a market tailwind? You know, we kind of like have spoken about all of these things, but I want to bring all of this into like one bigger umbrella here and talk about context, tailwinds, market, entrepreneurs, thesis, everything under one bigger umbrella and try and understand two questions, right? And not just, not just one, we're starting off with how do you understand and determine the velocity of market tailwind leading into a question, which is how do you see the whole VC landscape playing out in the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, 12 to 24 months is, is actually a very short time frame to make any sort of definite uh, type of uh, type of an outlook but I, I like over the next about i'd extend it a little about three odd years or so sure i definitely feel that within the vc ecosystem what we would be seeing again trying to tie it uh, with the other business tailwinds that we are seeing is that uh, from an investor perspective they would want they would see that a lot of value is being created by these new age companies and they don't have access to participating in their growth through your listed uh, equities market or uh, or the so, so you know i think there would be a more greater desire to participate in this whole success story that the vc ecosystem is going to bring in so I, I definitely feel a lot more domestic lps are going to come on board uh, which isn't happening as much as it should uh, honestly right now uh, also what i'm thinking is a lot and lot more funds now again as i said unlike uh, silicon valley we don't have enough number of funds here in india yet but we'll start seeing uh, the the spins, right? So, like the segment that I am focusing in, way back when uh, when we first conceptualized it, it was it was completely scarce. As in, there were hardly any players in this segment. But now it's getting more and more populated. So, in the next three years, I feel uh, funds would have to then start focusing on creating their own differentiators. So, which currently is not uh, as as important a criteria as it should be. Uh, over a period of time it's just because of the shortage like there are opportunities are a plenty so it's like a demand supply gap there but I, in the next over the next three three years or so i see that gap closing in and the vc is then having to actually uh, deliver much more value on the table right and i i've always been a personal believer of like and, and this is something i actually ask each company that we meet before we end the interview that beyond capital what is exactly is it that you are looking from us or why do you choose us other than our check writing ability, right? So is there any sort of uh, alignment over there as well? And I see that those aspects starting to play a more and more important role uh, over the coming sort of two to five years or so uh, within, within the Indian ecosystem at least. And when it comes to identifying tailwinds, uh, it's, it's, just, it's more just probably being out there learning learning about things and I, I don't know for, to me I've never actually figured out a system or a method of how to do that but I've always sort of been curious enough to sort of learn and sort of look at different angles uh, on myself and like I, I generally don't have a very definitive answer towards that part of how do you assess tailwinds and how do you get ideas uh, no I mean it, first. it's definitely something that I'm trying to figure out myself as well because yeah. one of the things that that you'll probably observe is you'll you listen to everyone in the industry talk about it. So there's a lot of right. noise that comes through, and therefore your your 
uh, intuitions also like headed towards that direction. You're kind of almost forced to think in one direction because of all the noise that you have within the industry. Now, oh, the second- that that sorry, but that that's something where you know I have personally at a very personal level, and this is something we discuss a lot even amongst my team members. Mm-hmm. Is we try and educate ourselves as much as possible. Uh, to avoid such pitfalls right so how so do you do that though how do you do that it's so difficult to do that because some of these it is, people it is, it, is, it is it is practically impossible to eliminate it completely right but but a good step in that direction would be to be aware of your biases as in i think there are uh, it's it's similar to how knowledge evolves right you have to first mm-hmm. be uh, you have to acknowledge ignorance to begin right. with then go ahead and realize okay what are you ignorant about so try try doing that discovery so internally we've had this exercise again during so one of the topics of our uh, like of our learning and sharing with each other during this uh, lockdown period was also various mental models and and how uh, humans tend to fall prey to such mental models right mm-hmm. and the one that we are talking about is a, is a social proof or or at times you know there is an anchoring bias wherein you you put too much weightage to one single piece of information or you you just agree to something because a lot of people around you are agreeing Uh, exactly. or in alignment uh, to that so so i think just being aware about them helps you acknowledge that it exists and mm-hmm. there is a bias over there and um, the only way we've sort of been able to tackle uh, it and i i wouldn't say we are completely immune to it but we've been able to tackle it is by building a culture of complete honesty and transparency within the team so i believe it's impossible to get rid of it as an individual but as a team you can make a good enough effort so wherein uh, again so even even for our thought process usually we tend to you know whenever it comes to decision making we take the same decision two times one is immediately after the discussion has happened so that's like a gut based call over there but also we put some method to that madness and revisit our dec- decision like after a day or two again so any company whom which we must have met let's say i met somebody on monday a monday evening my team would have had an uh, or we would have sat through it and and you know explored various aspects but that's not the final decision we'll probably sit again on uh, and discuss our meeting on on a wednesday or a thursday and and go back to okay what are the other concerns that were there so so trying to like if you do a collective thinking and uh, you sort of mix your gut feel versus the analytical side i believe to certain extent it is uh, avoidable to do so and and there have been uh, deals in the past where we've said no to uh, simply because we felt that oh this deal we initially like this transaction purely because of um, of the circumstances that were created while we saw the deal but the deal in itself isn't uh, what we would want it to be and we've refrained from participating whereas we've seen other uh, others uh, participate sometimes uh, funds that are much larger than us have also participated in such deals now uh, i i am not making a comment on them but what I, what i'm trying to say here is we will actively refrain from it and would not feel bad about it because that's a decision that we've taken uh, after contemplating over it a lot so we always so we have this line uh, i believe it's also up there on our website so we are okay to make errors of uh, omission rather than making errors of commission so we are okay like to that. let go of a good deal we are yeah we are okay to let go of a good deal because it really doesn't align with us mm-hmm. versus getting into something and then regretting it so right. so that's uh, so that's one way where we've and we sort of had to train ourselves to be okay with it it, it does not come naturally that's fantastic and, i mean yeah. one thing that i've really enjoyed over the course of my discussion with you today is 
how aware you are about your own biases, your own thesis, everything that's happening around the industry and how that whole evolution's kind of also modified some of your thinking. It's very important to be aware as a VC and, and acknowledge all of these changes along the way. And it's such a refreshing outlook. And this is kind of one of the reasons I'm really bullish on the younger nano micro VC firms led by uh, young emerging fund managers. So this has been fantastic. And I want to actually want to head into my last segment, which is a rapid fire and put you on the spot and, and, and shoot some questions at you and uh, get some really interesting answers. Yep, please go ahead. Let's see what you have for me. <laughs> fantastic. So if you were going to be in, in venture capital, what would you be doing otherwise? Ah, uh, I'd probably be doing some sort of research uh, and something which has got very good practical real world experience. Could have been towards software or uh, been something to do with electronics hardware because that's some place where my passion is as well. Very interesting. Is there anything that you'd like to change about venture capital in India? Oh, yeah, I just wish uh, for some reason uh, that people were more collaborative than they are. It's not that they aren't right now, mm -hmm. but I believe uh, like, you know, for the ecosystem to mature rapidly, we need to see much more cohesion uh, within fund managers and, and, and a much more propensity to collaborate, which, uh, which honestly I am seeing. I'm not saying it's absent, but mm -hmm. I wish there was more of it. Happening at a larger scale across the country. Yeah, happening at a larger scale or happening at a larger geography as well, rather than ha happening in smaller pockets or within smaller social circles. I agree. I agree. Now, what is the one most underrated quality of a VC? <laughs> in your opinion? <laughs> this, is, this is a very good question. Uh, I, I believe discipline. Uh, in fact, uh, I do this uh, AMA sessions on YouTube and this was one of the questions that got asked to me and, and discipline was the only word that came to my mind. Uh -huh. uh, people don't tend to realize that how often it is that VCs also get tempted, right? Because they see some great deals, they see certain great people. Uh, at times, those deals may not be good for the fund or the portfolio at large. They might be good deals in themselves or in their own right. right? Uh, so I think uh, having the discipline to know when to say yes and when to say no, even if, if you want to say yes, but to say no and the other way around uh, as well. I think that's uh, that's something which is which is very underrated. And the discipline to sort of, uh, again, what a lot of people don't realize is they see that, okay, this VC has done five deals this year or 10 deals this year. Right. And they see that that's all the work that somebody did. Whereas they do, what they don't realize is in order to make those 10 investments, the VC probably evaluated 500. Mm -hmm. And so like more than 95% of their time went in saying no to companies uh, rather than saying yes. And it's, it's also a lot of hard work over there, which uh, usually does not get a lot of recognition. Right. No, that's a very good point because discipline also helps you build a roadmap for your investments for the fund. Right. And uh, it kind of gives you a glimpse into evolutionary trends within sectors that you wished you'd invested in historically gives you an evidence as well if your gut is right or not. So discipline is extremely important because it's easy for you to get tempted. It's easy to uh, you know, just go in a different direction altogether. And this comes down to some of the other things that we spoke about as well, which, which revolves around biases, which revolves around the noise within the industry. So if you don't really stay within your tracks, it's so easy to really lose track of where you, uh, you know, head towards as, as a fund manager yourself. So that's a, that, that's a fantastic uh, point that you raise. Well, I think the, the, the biggest downside is also the feedback loop in VC ecosystem is far too long, right? So if you've made a mistake now, 
you're not going to know about it in a couple of months you're probably going to find out about it only after only a, a couple few of years. years yeah yeah so i think discipline also adds uh, so if you are disciplined that feedback curve could actually be shortened and and you could learn faster mm-hmm. fantastic i love that you know this might probably be a, a hard question but what is one problem today that you think nobody is solving or doing a terrible job with that needs attention within the indian context so uh, okay yeah, this is a tough one so from a founder context i i, I believe at a higher abstraction level i would say that uh, one function which people are not really doing well with is you know trying to actually promote and publicize more about sane business models so there's a lot of hoha and talk that happens about some business models which personally i am very averse to uh, simply because i i don't see a clear road to profitability but you see a lot of uh, those founders are uh, celebrated a lot and I, and i'm not saying it's wrong it's just that uh, because of which there's a lot of other founders who don't get enough attention so i i believe there is uh, like the whole communication or the way the vc industry is being projected uh, and the founders within the industries are behaving that that image needs to sort of change a little and so that's a work which isn't like not the best work is happening over there um, from a vc perspective if i think this is something i've already sort of answered i think we need to be a bit more collaborative bit more Um, involved with each other uh, look for opportunities to collaborate and, and that's happening because uh, what we are also seeing is early on like you know about let's say more five years plus ago uh, indian vc ecosystem was dominated by basically people who had worked in other vc firms outside india who moved back to india and started their practice over here so their way of doing business uh, was very different because again they came from a foreign experience they are backed by foreign capital so the mm-hmm. way in which they behave was very different and uh, again so that was the flavor so to say to the vc ecosystem and we are seeing that uh, flavor evolve into something indian and uh, becoming more contextually relevant here now so i think more of that needs to happen more domestic participation needs to be brought in and when i'm saying domestic i mean both from lp side as well as from the fund manager and the experience of fund manager uh, aspect of things i i hope that answers your question i try it definitely to... does it definitely does a very interesting take so really enjoyed uh, enjoyed that answer now my last question to you is got to do more on emerging fund managers what is your advice to emerging fund managers coming out of india in the next couple of years what's one thing that you'd like to tell them that perhaps you will be looking back at your career um you know if somebody had given you that advice 3 4 years ago 5 years ago would have really been helpful for you personally so so for me uh, young fund managers are are no different than entrepreneurs themselves right so for the advice is no no different to, to what we give to uh, young entrepreneurs like be at it be patient and be consistent as in this just that like keep going at it it takes time so be patient and be consistent in what you are doing so that your efforts can compound over a period of time and then you can eventually see good results so i think that's that's one advice i would want to give and i really uh, and i i believe vc as an uh, as an industry like not just in india but anywhere in the world uh, needs to have this continuous influx of fresh minds and fresh ideas uh, into the decision making piece because that is what i believe keeps the industry also alive right because vc is all about enabling businesses of tomorrow uh, today so you need people of tomorrow today to actually run it right as well no fantastic rohit this was great uh, i had such a blast learning so much from you 
and it See, doesn't I, seem like like speaking to you it doesn't seem like somebody who's just been in vc for the last 3 4 years it seems like you've been in vc for the last 15 20 years so uh, it's fantastic to hear all these refreshing insights and i do hope um, you know over the course of the next few years um, we hear some really successful portfolio companies making exits bigger ones and i really would love to bring you on um, onto the podcast maybe in a year's time just to like understand the evolution between 2020 and 2021 and seems like uh, you have you have a lot more experience uh, in terms of what's happened from you know from the recovery stages of covid so uh, from yeah. a personal perspective i had a ball speaking to you thank you it's been an absolute pleasure also for myself um, as i mentioned to you before the recording this is actually the first ever podcast that i did and uh, honestly it was more fun than i imagined it to be so and and of course all credits and thanks to you for that for making me feel so comfortable and and thank you to the listeners who have uh, given their valuable time i hope they have gotten some value uh, as well out of this whole exercise again thanks for your generosity with respect to time and insights and i look forward to keeping in touch <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me ash and that is a wrap on this week's episode wasn't it refreshing to hear a young fund manager share his thoughts on the vc landscape well i had a lot of fun and if you're like me firstly virtual high five we like similar content and secondly it would be great if you could rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it really helps others discover the show as well before i leave you let me remind you of the two startups that i'd like you to check out first thing after this episode indistractable is a suite of productivity apps that helps you find digital distractions starting with a minimalist launcher and the other is bima garage bima is focused on making insurance easy for everyone in india with a focus on hassle free claims management service i have shared all the information below in the episode notes guys so go ahead click on them and go and show these startups some love i'll be back again next week with a new guest and until then you stay safe and continue to keep hustling